run from Saul here for a decade. He's got triumphs and disappointments. He's got highs and lows. There's a lot going on in David's life, and it's all part of God's molding, all part of his architecture. He's teaching David in spite of circumstances that he can trust the Lord. that he can lean on him. And David's wrestling. At the, the end of chapter 22, David has one of his low points. Uh, he realizes because of his lie in Nob to the priest uh, that, that he wasn't completely honest, that it led to the, really the murder of everyone in that city, every priest in that city almost. One escapes, we know. Uh, and, but everyone dies. And David is at a low point at this time. He tells uh, Abiathar in verse 23, Stay with me, do not fear, for he who seeks my life seeks your life, but with me you shall be safe. And, and where's David? He says, you know, stay with me. David moves from Adullam, this cave, in verse 1 of chapter 22 to verse 5. It says, the prophet Gad said to David, so he meets up with David, just shows up out of nowhere, really, and God is assembling this kingdom for David, this, this army. He, he's got an army now. He's got a prophet. We're going to see at the end here, you know, Abiathar, the, the, the priest, shows up. But Gad says, don't stay in the stronghold. Depart and go to the land of Judah. And David departed and went into the forest of Herath. David is not too proud to listen to other people. Right? David didn't say, hey, I'm the future king. I killed the giant. I killed a bear. I killed a lion. Right? He's not too proud to listen to someone else. We need to say, stay soft and moldable. Right? Jesus warned that what happens to people is they become old wineskins where nothing new can be poured into your life. You, you already know everything. Don't tell me. Right? And, and nobody can tell you anything. And Jesus warned of that. And so... David didn't say, uh, listen, I know better than you, Gad. He moves out from the stronghold, that place of safety. Masada is the name, place of protection, a place of strength. And he moves out into Hereth, into these woods. And really, David is getting out of his comfort zone. There's a place of strength there where he was. No one was going to find him. No one was going to get him. He was set up. But God's like, no, speaks through Gad and says, no, you've got to move from there, from Adullam, from this cave, and move to Judah. Get out of your comfort zone. And I think that's what the Lord would speak to a lot of us here today. We sit in our comfort zone where we can control everything. It's a secure place. And we miss out on what God wants to do with our lives and how he wants to use our lives and what, what he's called our lives to accomplish while we're here on earth, this little breath that God has given us. But we want to stay in Adullam. We want to stay in the cave. It's safe there. There's security there. I have everything I need there. Saul won't find me there. The battle's not really intense there. But God says, no, I want you out of there. I want you to serve. I've got a plan for you. And we're going to see that here in verse 1. There's a reason you exist, David. I've got a plan. Don't just hunker down. And bunker down and, and think that you're going to be safe there. I've got something for your life. Purpose for it. Other than just living in your own little kingdom, doing all your own little things. Get out of there. 
go to Judah. And David is really at a low point, but God speaks to him. Don McClure tells the story of a chicken and a pig walking down the road, walking down the street, and they pass by a church, and it says, uh, it says, bacon and egg breakfast. And the, the, the chicken says to the pig, you know, hey, I really like church. It's really cool. I think we should stop in and make a donation. And the pig says to the chicken, for you, it's a donation. For me, it's a total commitment. And isn't that the reality for your life? Isn't that so true? So many people come in to church on Sunday, and they make a donation. They give a little time. Here I am at church. Maybe they'll drop money in the plate, but that's it. That's your life. And you're living well below what God has for your life. You want to stay in your comfort zone. But you miss out on the plan of God and the purposes of God. If I asked you to raise your hand today and asked you if you were all in, sold out, probably everyone here, you know, we're in church, everyone would raise their hand. We've had different guest speakers here and asked if people wanted to get saved or if people would, you know, die for the Lord. And man, the whole church stands up, you know, but is that the case when you leave here? Is that the case when you get home and you get the clicker in your hand, you know? Am I willing to die for the Lord? Right after this game, I will, Right? Uh, are you willing to serve the Lord? Yes, as soon as this show's over, right? And, and so many people miss out on what God has for their life. They're, they want to stay in the cave in a doolum. But David is at a place where he's broken. He's broken over, you know, in verse 22 of chapter 22, he says, I have caused the death of all the persons of your father's house. He realized because of, he, because of his lie, all these people needlessly died. And David is at a low point, but, but verse 1 says, Then they told David, saying, Look, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah, and they're robbing the threshing floors. Right? Why does, is the message sent to David and not to Saul? Why isn't, why doesn't, because that's the whole reason they asked for a king. They want a king to rescue them from their enemies. Give us a king like everyone else. We want protection. And here they come to David and say, hey, listen, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and they're robbing the threshing floors. Keilah was one of, one of, the, uh, one of the cities of Judah. This was David's tribe. And, and probably they knew David would have compassion. He's a shepherd, right? He's a shepherd. So many people have an excuse when they hear of a need, of a problem, and an issue. Tons of reasons not to serve. David could have made up tons of them, right? I'm busy. Saul's seeking my life. I'm, you know... What are you doing? Look what I'm going through. People don't understand. Why don't you ask someone else? But all David needed to hear was, was, hey, these guys are in trouble. And he starts to get some heartburn, right? You know people like that. There's a need. Something's going on. And if you tell that person, man, their wheels start turning. How can I help? What can I do? Right? 
David's one of those guys. He wants to help. And it says they're robbing the threshing floors. And, and, and what the Philistines would do, they would wait till the harvest time. And instead of planting and you know, doing everything it takes to have their own harvest, they would just stay and wait. And they would watch the hills. And that's where the, the threshing of the wheat would take place. They would, they would, they would uh, grind it. They would drive, drive over it with... Um, thresh it with carts and wagons and ox, and it would break the hard kernels and break the stems off. And then they would winnow it, they would throw it in the air, and the, the chaff would blow away, and the, and the seed, the wheat, would fall back to the ground. And they would continue, it was, a, it was a long process, and the Philistines would wait. They would know harvest season, and they're waiting and waiting, and why do it ourselves when we can go rob the Israelites or rob some other country and they're waiting and and david knew the process but at the same time david is in that process god's got david in that process where the 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 precious wheat is inside but the wheels driving over david he's in the molding stage he's in the stage of god's threshing him god is removing things in his life and he's in that process. And God does that with you and I. He, he lets the wheels go over, over you. The cart goes over you. And the, and the ox go over you. And what they're doing is they're cracking that kernel, the useless part, to release the seed, what God wants and can use in your life and mine. And that's what's going on that, that David's seeing. That's what Jesus said to Peter. You know, he said, you know, Simon, Simon. Satan has desired to sift you. That's part of the process. After the, the, the kernel's cracked and some of the stems are gone, there's still part of the kernel, that's part of the, the shell that stays on some of the wheat. And then they start to sift it. It's another process that's, that's you know, agitating, right? That's what goes on in our life when God starts sifting us. There's agitations and irritations and things coming up, and God is revealing things in your heart. And for Peter... What he was revealing was pride and self-confidence. What's that shell that's still on you, Peter, so I can use you more? Peter's like, hey, you know, Lord, he's desired to sift me, but I'm ready to die for you. I'm ready to go to prison for you. And the Lord didn't say, hey, I'm praying that that process wouldn't take place. He didn't say that. He's saying when you're converted, when this is over, on the other end of that trial, that difficulty, that sifting, that threshing, that you'll be able to strengthen your brethren. Man, you'll be way more usable, Peter, on the other side of this. So that's what God is doing. He's removing stuff in your life, stuff in my life, so we're more usable for God's kingdom. It's the threshing process, and we all have to go through it. It's guaranteed. There's no escape. There's no free pass right? And David here engages in the battle. We're going to see in a couple verses. I don't want to, you know, get ahead of myself, but David is going to engage. He's going to go on the offense here. And that's for you and I. We might as well go on the offense, right? Why sit back in the cave and do nothing? You're still going to go through trials. You're still going to go through difficulties. God is still winnowing you and sifting you. Why not be usable for God's kingdom? Why not say, Lord, here's my life. Here's my little grain of wheat. It's not much, but when we, all, when we add it all together, Lord, you can use my life. 
here it is. So David sees that they're in trouble. And they're trying to rob the threshing floors. Very serious. They would, they would lose a whole year's income. They would use, lose next year's seed to plant food for this year, money and trade that they, they would be a year's wage they would lose in a day or two. And the Philistines would come in with ox and just grab one of the, you know, their Israelites' children and put a sword to their neck and say, hey, hand it over, right? And it says, David inquired of the Lord. He doesn't react, he prays. And he says, shall I go attack these Philistines? And the Lord says to David, go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. Should I go? Are we willing? That's what you know, Paul says to the Romans, that we're to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. He says, that's our reasonable service. That's reasonable for you and I, just to present ourselves. Lord, this is reasonable. For all you've done for me, for me to give you my life, that's nothing. That's very reasonable, right? I was going to hell. I was going to live a very cruddy life, trying to do everything in my own wisdom and failing after failing after failing and Jesus Christ comes in and takes all my sin, my shame, gives me heaven, eternity, gives me eternal life that starts right now. We have a relationship with a living God. What's our reasonable, serv reasonable service? Let's give our lives right back to him. Lord, what do you want? That's exciting. Are you sick of living your life for yourself? You want to live an exciting life? One for the kingdom, one that matters, makes a difference? Lord, here it is. Here's my little grain of wheat. And, and, and so David prays, Lord, should I go? Should I go and attack the Philistines? And David begins to go on the offense here, doing hard things. And, but David's men, normal. This is normal. David's men said unto him, look, we're afraid here in Judah. How much more if we go to Keilah, to Keilah? against the armies of the Philistines. We expose ourselves. We give away our location. What are we doing? David, I don't know if that's right. I remember a couple, you know, one of the mission trips, we went to Africa. Um, somebody said, listen, if you guys go, I had a dream, I got a word, I got a vision, whatever it was, you guys are going to die. Like, what? Don't go. Like, that's human reasoning. People care, and that's obvious. People don't want you to do dangerous things or hard things. Go on a mission trip. Expose yourself, whatever, right? And some people can get radical. Listen, if you go, this is going to be the worst decision you've ever made. This is terrible. And that's what David's men in. But David's used to resistance and discouragement. God is preparing him. God has prepared him. He's already experienced resistance and discouragement. When he fought Goliath, his brother's like, you're nothing, dude. Go home. What are you doing here? Saul's like, you're not a man of war. This guy's a man. You're just a kid. This guy's been a, a man of war since his youth. What are you doing here, David? You cannot do anything. So David's used to discouragement. You should be too. You want to serve the Lord, you want to step out, you want to get closer to the Lord, get ready for some discouragement, some pushback from people that may be close to you. These are David's men, but David is 
their captain. David is leading by example. He's discipling these men. He's teaching them. As God is teaching David, David is teaching these men. These guys didn't come to David with it all together. These were the ragtag bunch of people that were at the bottom of the barrel, the grease scrapings, the leftovers. All right, I'll pick him. Who's left? Oh, yeah, there, I forgot that guy sitting on the bench over there. I guess I'll take him. We need nine to play. Maybe I'll just play with baseball with eight. It might be better, right? We'll, we'll win if we play with eight and not that person, but that's the guy God picks. Number nine, the guy that's the last one picked, the one on the bench that God can use and says, you know what, I can make something out of this. And so David's teaching these guys. He's molding, God's molding them and using David <clears throat> as an example. But David's not prideful. He doesn't say, listen to me, verse 4. It says, David inquired of the Lord again, and the Lord answered him. God's not mad to confirm it. He's not angry or upset that David has to ask again. And God answers him. He says, arise, go down to Keilah, for I will deliver the Philistines into your hand. He actually gives him a little more information. I'm in this fight. I'm in this battle. I'm going to deliver them. We're going to do this. He inquires of the Lord. He prays. David waits for confirmation. Did I hear correctly? Did David maybe was thinking, maybe God's speaking. Maybe I heard wrong the first time. Maybe God's speaking to these, through these guys. He doesn't shame the men. He, doesn't, he just asks again. You might have a word, a verse, the date written in your Bible, whatever it is. God showed me this. God did this. It doesn't hurt to ask for confirmation. It's okay. It's encouraging to get another word from the Lord. It's encouraging to hear from God. It's encouraging to hear his voice. Strengthens David. It strengthens the men. Right? Moses did that. Moses like, what a Lord, are you sure? God's like, stick your hand in your shirt. Pulls it out, leprous, puts it back in. It's it's not. Throw your staff on the ground. Becomes a snake. Pick it up. It comes becomes a staff. Moses, how, how's the Gideon? has a fleece. One's not good enough. Has to do it again the next night, right? It's okay. Confirmation's good. Confirmation's good. The reality is, is God wants to speak to his people. He wants to talk to you. He wants to talk to me. And, he, and so he's leading these guys. David prays, rise, go to Keilah. I'm going to deliver the Philistines into your hand. And, and praise the Lord, verse 5. David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a mighty blow. He took away their livestock, the, the ox and the carts that they brought in to haul away the grain. They kept them. You guys head home. We'll keep your stuff here, right? Took away their livestock, and David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. God's promises fulfilled instead of losing a year's wage imagine the celebration after that imagine the party imagine you know how much love these guys had for david 
right? That just, all right, let's kill one of those ox. Let's kill 20 of them. Let's eat. Let's have a feast. This is a, amazing, right? God comes through. God tells him to do it. And it happened. Now, here's a little something that, that's added here. It says in verse 6, it, Now, it happened when Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David at Keilah, that he went down with an ephod in his hand. He goes down with this priestly garment, and the high priest would wear one. It had 12 stones in it that represented all the tribes of Israel. And inside of that, and it's a little, un, it's a little blurry. Uh, you can do a study on it. There's the Urim and the, and the Thummim. It was a little bag probably on the inside with a white stone and a black stone. And when the priest inquired of the Lord, they would reach in this bag and they would grab a stone out. And if it was a black stone, that meant don't go. If it was a white stone, that meant you're good. You're good to go, right? And, and they would inquire of the Lord. Some people say that maybe the stones would light up and not. It's a little vague, but, but that's what he brings. He brings the ephod, and it's the high priest ephod, probably, with the urim and the thummim. They're seeking the Lord, right? That's what, what Jesus says in Revelation chapter 2. He says to the overcomers, those who overcome, I think it's the church of Pergamos, those who overcome, I'll give you a white stone. That means you're good to go. That's a thumbs up from the Lord, right? That's what you want. If you're in Christ, you get a white stone. If you overcome in this life, you get a white stone. That's a thumbs up from the Lord. And it's better than what most people, how most people, you know, figure life out. Most people aren't inquiring of the Lord. They're not praying. They're not going to a priest, right? Like days of old. Most, most people are like, she's cute. He's handsome. There's money in it for me to make there. Or, and that's how our life is directed. Instead of through prayer, instead of seeking the Lord, it's basically based on human reasoning and understanding. That makes sense to me. And there's no direction. You don't know if you're in God's will. You don't know if you're in God's will. If you're not seeking him, if you're not asking him, if you're not willing to do what he says. So Abiathar shows up. And then verse 7, it says, And Saul was told that David had gone to Keilah. And Saul said, Oh, God has delivered him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by the entering a town that has gates and bars. He's deranged. He thinks... God has delivered David into his hand. It's not true. He's seen, he's not seen clearly, for sure. He's looking through the wrong lens. He's targeting the wrong enemy. Now he wants to go down there once he hears David's there, but he, he, he had no intention of going before when the Philistines were invading. And he thinks, you know what? God has shut him in. He's delivered him. And Saul called all the people together, Verse 8, for war, to go down to Keilah and to besiege not the Midianites, not the Amalekites, not the Moabites, but his own son-in-law, David, and his men, 
And when David knew that Saul plotted evil against him, he said to Abiathar the priest, bring the ephod here. Now, now David is getting a little nervous. Let's see what God says. David could have reasoned, listen, we just won a great victory. This is my first step in taking cities. I'm helping Keilah. They're, my, they're, they're, they're of the tribe of Judah. They're going to help me. We're going to fight against Saul. This makes total sense. Or, and he doesn't say, well, here comes Saul. He'll kill them like he did everyone in Nob. I got to get out of here. David's like, let's pray. What do we do? There's two good choices here. Both choices can make perfect sense, right? You ever come up with that? You're in a situation and you're like, what should I do? Both things sound good. Well, don't you think it's good to pray? God knows. Ask the Lord. Don't move until you hear from him. So that's what he does. Again, seeks the Lord here through the priest. Bring the ephod. And David asks two questions. He said, oh, Lord, God of Israel. He's reminding who, who God is like, oh, man, I'm in trouble again. So he reminds himself of who God is. You're the God of Israel. You're the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You're the God who doesn't fail. Oh, Lord God of Israel, your servant has certainly heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. You know that, right? You've heard, right? God knows. You think he doesn't know? Lord, you heard this. You knew, that, you knew before me that this was coming. And then he says, will the men of Keilah deliver me into his hand? And will Saul come down as your servant has heard? Oh, Lord God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. And the Lord said, here's, here's the, the white stone. Yes, he's coming. God answers the, first question, the second question first. Yes, he's coming. Saul's coming. And David said, will the men of Keilah deliver me? And my men into the hand of Saul. And the Lord says, yep, they're going to deliver you. Yes. Keilah's afraid. They know what happened in Nob. There's lessons in leadership here. There's lessons in Christianity here. People can be unappreciative, unthankful, fickle, disloyal. Israel was, and we can be. If you've ever showed up at a sporting event and your team is losing especially if it's a new york team you know they cheer like crazy when they're winning but when they start losing it's like you're in another state and they're like getting booed off the field like this is your team what are you doing right and david was learning to do what he does for the lord obedience in spite of outcome i'm going to do this lord no matter what happens, right? God sent them there, and God knew that they were going to turn them in. But God still says, listen, I want you to go rescue them. I want you to help them. He didn't tell them they were going to turn them over, that they were going to turn on them, on, on David, right? David might have thought twice, Are they're going to turn on me? Maybe I won't help these jerks, right? No, but David doesn't do that, and God doesn't give them all that information yet. Probably a good thing. But David learned that lesson as a shepherd, too. When he fought a bear and a lion, the sheep didn't say, oh, David, you're amazing. Come and shear me, right? You're awesome. 
They weren't impressed the next day. They were just as needy and they still wandered. David learned that, listen, people aren't much different than sheep. They don't appreciate every time. They don't appreciate what you've done or care about your sacrifice or what you've risked or laid on the line. But there's a lesson that you can be in the center of God's will and still be in trouble. David sought the Lord's will, heard the Lord's will, did the Lord's will, and things can get worse. And then he can start to wonder and question, did I do the right thing? Did I hear you correctly? And David did. He got double confirmation. He was supposed to go. That can happen. We get nervous and worried. And verse 13 says, So David and his men, about 600, arose and departed from Keilah and went whither, whither? went wherever they could go. And it was told Saul that David had escaped from Keilah. So he halted the expedition. God isn't working overnight. He's working overtime in David. It's a place of growth, being very close, going through hard things. But in that place, God increases David's army by 50%. He adds 200 men to this army. He went from 400 to 600 men. And he's blessing David. He's got a prophet with him, a priest. He's got an army. He secured his family. In hard things, it says in Exodus chapter 1, verse 12, speaking of Pharaoh and Israel, it says, the more that they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. That's where we grow is in affliction, in difficulty, in trials, because we press into the Lord like we never have. The early church, when it was the most powerful and the most pure, is when it experienced the most persecution and trouble it had ever seen. That's when the church, in the, in the global church, grows the most. It explodes when there's persecution and pressure on it. It's coming to our country, it's definitely. I heard Johnny Erickson Tata say, this one time, she recalled praying, Lord, make me close, change me, work in me. And she prayed that a week before a diving accident that left her a quadriplegic, if you know Johnny Erickson Tata. And she was recalling that prayer and that accident and praying that before the Lord. She was recalling it in Israel 40 years later at the pool of Bethesda where the lame man was healed, where Jesus said, take up your bed and walk. And she said, you know what? I wouldn't change a thing. The intimacy I have and the fellowship with the Lord and everything he, he, everything he's taught me, I wouldn't change a thing 40 years later, right? That's the hard things we go through, the deep things we go through. As hard as they are, man, you come out on the other side, you're a pure gold, the Bible says. You're usable. Paul, in Philippians chapter 3, says, he says, that I might know him. And how do you do that? It's through the uh, the the power of the resurrection, and the fellowship of suffering, right? That's the only way to know him. What Paul wrote, he authored a good chunk of the Bible. What do you mean, Paul, that you might know him? That literally means to experience him, that I might experience the Lord. How do you do that? It's 
the power of the resurrection. Well, how do you experience, how did Jesus experience resurrection power? It was through suffering. It was through the cross. It was through hardship. Oftentimes when I'm on the mission field, you know, I'll ask, you know, hey, what can we pray for you guys? And then, then people will tell me, hey, I'm praying for you guys. Oh, really? You, you don't even know me. No, I'm praying for America because I know what's happening in, in America because it, Jesus wrote about America in the church, in the, in the book of Revelation, the Laodicean church. A church that was rich and increased with goods and has need of nothing. And they say that to me multiple places in the world. We're praying for you guys. The, the, the most dangerous place for David wasn't when he was running from Saul. It wasn't when he was in a cave or it was when he sat back in the palace and rested. And, and it says all the kings went out to war and David stayed back and rested. And that's where he saw Bathsheba. That's where he committed adultery, and that's where he fell. It's in the place of rest and leisure is the most dangerous for you and I. When we're sitting back and resting and thinking, you know what, I'm going to kick back and stay in the cave. I can't. This is too hard. This is too tough. It's dangerous there. Corey Tenboom says, you never know Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. And sometimes God does that for our sake. So God increases his army by 200 in hardships, and difficulties. And David, it says, verse 14, stayed in the strongholds in the wilderness and remained in the mountains of the wilderness of Ziph. And listen, it says, Saul sought him every day. But God did not deliver him into his hand. Saul is after David. The Lord doesn't deliver him, but he also doesn't stop him. He keeps him in that process, just like Peter. Simon, Simon, Satan has desired you. He asked for you by name, that he might sift you as wheat. But he didn't say, hey, I'm praying that he doesn't sift you. No, he says, when, on the other side of this, you're going to be valuable. When you're converted, strengthen your brethren. So this is all part of the process. Every day Saul seeks him. In verse 15 it says, And David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life, and David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a forest. David's stressed out. He sees, you know, every day he's coming after me every single day. Overwhelmed. What's next? And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, verse 16, it says, Then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the woods and strengthened his hand in the Lord. Jonathan, you know, is his best friend. This is the last time they'll see each other, and God just sends him out of nowhere, unexpectedly. And he doesn't come to rescue him. He comes to refresh him and to give him some relief. He shows up to encourage him. Something to hold on to. Proverbs 25, 25 says, Like cold water to a weary soul, so is good news from a distant land. It's so good to be an encourager, to get encouragement. We need Jonathans, and you need to be a Jonathan. 
people need encouragement. We can get so focused on ourselves and our own trials and we can forget other people are going through it too. We should be encouraging each other and sharpening each other. So Jonathan shows up and he strengthens his hand in God, his heart. He encourages him. And he said to him, don't fear, for the hand of, my, of Saul, my father, shall not find you. And you shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Even my father Saul knows that. He says, don't fear. Why? Because David is afraid, right? God speaks to our fears. And it doesn't mean you're, you're not spiritual if you're afraid, right? So many people in the word of God, men of faith, had fear. They worried. But, but Jonathan comes along and says, hey, listen, don't be afraid. He says, my dad's not going to find you. And he'll need, to, he'll need to know this, wandering around the, the hills of Ziph here, because it's going to look like he's going to get found. My dad's not going to find you. That's true. You shall be king over Israel. That was true. He says, and I'll be next to you. That wasn't true. I don't know if Jonathan, you know, it just wasn't true. Other than Jonathan is standing with David, but Jonathan will die on the battlefield with his father. He'll never get to see David again. But he says, even my father knows this. Right? I've got the intel. My dad told me. And he encourages him. He gives him these, these promises. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord, verse 18. And David stayed in the woods. He stayed in this uncomfortable place. And Jonathan went to his own house, to a plush palace. Two different worlds at this time they're living in. And verse 19 says, And the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is David not hiding with us in the strongholds in the woods in the hill of Hakalah, which is on the south side of Jeshimon? So the Ziphites, who are these guys? They're also of the tribe of Judah. But they're not afraid that Saul's going to come kill him. They're just turning David in. They're just looking for some advantage. They're troublemakers. And they just are like, oh, here's David. Let's tell Saul. What will Saul, Saul do for us? Here's the reality. Keilah and Ziph, they're both God's people. They're actually the tribe of, tribes of, tribe of Judah. And when David gets on the throne, he doesn't destroy these guys. He doesn't go after them. He doesn't you know, take revenge on these guys. It's just who they are. It's just who they are. The Philistines and the Ziphites, they act the same. They can be ruthless. But one's God's people and one's God's enemy. And sometimes you have that. Sometimes you know people like that. David doesn't take his wrath out on these guys when he, when he becomes king. Therefore, they say this, Now therefore, O king, come down according to all the desire of your soul to come down. And our part shall be to deliver him into the king's hand. Hey, you come down, we'll keep an eye on him. We'll tell you where he is. We'll deliver him. And Saul, here's this you know, spiritual talk, this Christian lingo maybe. You know, don't, not everyone who says, you know, I'm a Christian is. Saul says, 
Blessed are you of the Lord. You have compassion on me, right? Please go and find out for sure and see the place where his, and look at how he described, describes David. Find the place where his hideout is. And who has seen him there? For I am told he's very crafty. See therefore and take knowledge of all the lurking places where he hides and come back to me with certainty and I will go with you. And it shall be that if he is in the land that I will search for him throughout all the clans of Judah. He talks, to, uh, talks about him like he's a criminal or a thief. And then verse 24 says, So they arose and they went to Ziph before Saul. But David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon, in the plain of the south of Jeshimon. And when Saul and his men went to seek him, they, were, they told David, Therefore he went down to the rock, and he stayed in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard that, he pursued David in the wilderness of Maon. This is where David writes Psalm 54. And he says in that short little psalm, he writes three psalms. I think it's 31. There's three of them. 54 is one of them. And that's, and that's where he realizes, you know what? God is my help. It's at this very time in Ziph where he writes, God is my help. Like, who can help me? Who's going to help me? David is thinking about that, and he writes it down in that psalm. God is my help. When everyone else fails, when everything else fails, when you think you've lost everyone, he says, you know what? God stood with me. He's here, and he'll never fail. And he went down to the rock. There was another rock. If you remember, I think it was in chapter 21, the rock of Ezel. It was the rock of destiny, the rock of departure, the rock that shapes, the rock that shows the way. Now, he, now this rock is going to be named too. It says this in verse 26. Saul went on one side of the mountain and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. And David made haste to get away from Saul for Saul and his men, they started to encircle David and his men. So First, they're running round and round. You know, Saul thinks he's going to catch him. And he's like, all right, separate. And now they're encircling David. They're coming around, and they're going to trap him. And David's probably thinking, oh, my goodness. What is going to happen here? But there's a rock there. And you have a rock, and I have a rock. The foundation to Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, a messenger came to Saul, saying, Hurry and come, for the Philistines have invaded the land. What? Okay, therefore Saul returned from pursuing David and went against the Philistines, so they called the place the Rock of Escape. Why is Saul all of a sudden concerned with the Philistines when he wasn't concerned when they were invading Keilah? God just sends this messenger. Right at the right time, they're about to get David, they're, they're encircling him, and sometimes that's the way it is when, when, when God helps you and helps me. It's at the last moment, it's in a way you never thought, like, there's no way out for this. There's no way God can help. It's too late. Lord, you failed. This isn't happening, and then all of a sudden, a messenger shows up, says, hey, Saul, the Philistines are invading. What? I better get there. Like, why? You didn't do that before. You just killed everyone in Nob. 
Keilah was invaded, but all of a sudden it goes in his ear and he responds to it. God just rescues him that way. God shows up and they called that place, and I'm not going to say it if you have the King James Version, Sila Hama La Koa, maybe? It's the rock of escape. It's the rock of division. It's the rock we stand on. Moses says, who do I say sent me? And God sends Moses to deliver the, who do I, who, what do I even say? What, I mean, who's going to believe me? He says, I am that I am. Tell him I am sent you. I am everything you need. I'm your rock. I'm your help, your defense. I'm everything you need. I'll never leave you or forsake you. And just like Pharaoh's chasing Israel as they leave Egypt and they come to the Red Sea with a mountain on this side and a mountain on that side and God sends this cloud and it just goes there in between. It was the cloud that was leading them at first and then God puts it in between them. And it says it was darkness on the Pharaoh's side and it was light to Israel. And God just does those things, separates. sure Israel didn't think that was going to happen. I'm sure David didn't think that was. Sometimes God lets our plans fail so he can come through in a bigger way. So we, don't, we, we can't say we've got it all figured out. I know what I'm going to do. David, at this point, he didn't, he's not in the cave of Adullam. He's not in Judah. He, it's like, what are we going to do now? And God just has to come through. There's no other option. And that's where Israel was. When they were at the Red Sea, there's like no other option, Lord. And God just separates it and parts the Red Sea for them. And David, verse 29, and we'll look at this a little more next week, but David went up from there and dwelt in the strongholds of Engede. David keeps a soft heart. He doesn't hate Keilah, Ziph, or Saul. He doesn't retaliate. He doesn't get revenge. Keilah, it literally means a place of molding, cutting away or pruning. David's got to choose the places he stays a little better because God is pruning him and he's molding him. He's on the potter's wheel. He's mold, God's molding David. Ziph means refining, purifying, sifting. God is sifting him also. God's doing that in your life. He's doing that in my life. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. It's good that he doesn't leave us where we're at. Stagnant, stale. We're at a disadvantage. That's where David was when he stayed in the palace. We're at a disadvantage. God wants us to engage, to stay active in the battle, to be on the offense, not on the defense, not just sit. We celebrate freedom today. Jesus Christ came to set men free. When the sun sets free, it's free indeed. We get to take communion today. It's a reminder, not just of our freedom here in America. That's great. We do live in the freest country in the world, probably. Right? But there's more freedom you can experience. If you don't know Jesus Christ today, he wants to set you free. He wants to forgive you of sins. The world has a grip on you. Sin has a grip. 
He doesn't want to let go. The only way you can be free is in Jesus Christ. That's it. So, Lord, we're just so thankful, God, for your love, your hand in our life. Your word tells us your promises that you'll never leave us or forsake us, Lord. We trust in that. We believe it, Lord, even when it doesn't feel like it, even when it doesn't look like it, Lord. You promise you won't leave us, Lord. And, and we're thankful for the freedom we have in you, forgiveness of sins, the grip that this world had on my life, on our lives, that controlled us, dictated our thoughts and our actions. It was not a kind shepherd. Jesus, you're a good shepherd. You laid down your life for us, Lord. We celebrate that today. The good shepherd lays down his life for the flock. And that's what you did, Lord. We're thankful for that. We love you so much. We give you this day. We give you our life, Lord.